We're continuing our series talking about prayer, specifically examining both what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, how he instructs his disciples to pray, and then also looking at John 17 in Jesus' prayer, the night he's betrayed, and what he prays about, and then looking at those two passages, those two texts, and asking ourselves, do the themes that Jesus emphasized in prayer and for prayer, do those themes run through my prayers? And maybe you felt like through this series, what one person expressed to me uh, when we started the series is, I've been praying all wrong. And that's not true. You haven't been praying all wrong. If you're praying, you're doing good, right? Keep praying and keep praying for all the things that you're praying about. It isn't, I don't think, that we need to stop praying about those things, whatever those things are that you're, you've been praying about and you are praying about, bless this food that we're about to eat and all those other things that you pray about and I pray about, but that we need to continue to dig deeper and let these themes sink into our minds and into our hearts so that these themes, the themes that Jesus prayed and the themes that Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, that they become common themes in our prayers. We talked about, does, does God take center stage in our prayer life? And when we pray for food and nourishment, are we praying not only for our own family and our own selves, but for all of God's people throughout the world, especially those who don't have daily bread, especially those for whom daily bread is hard to come by? When we pray for forgiveness, are we anchoring our prayers in the transformation? Father, forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Do we pray as transformed people? And this morning, I want to think about the last part of that prayer. But in order to get there, let's talk about temptation and the temptations that we struggle with. A 2011 study tracked the top temptations that Americans face. So Americans were asked, what do you, what, what temptations do you struggle with? And they said that these are temptations that they either often or sometimes struggle with. The top ones were things like worrying or being anxious, maybe you can relate, uh, procrastinating, eating too much, spending too much time on media, being lazy, spending more money than they could afford, gossiping about others. The only thing that surprised me about gossiping about others that only 26% said that. I think it's probably higher than that. What do you think? Uh, being jealous or envious of others, viewing pornography, abusing alcohol or drugs. But what, what really surprised me about this study was that 59%, 59%, that's the number of people when they were asked if they do anything to avoid giving into these temptations 59% said no. They don't do anything specific to avoid giving in to this, these temptations. They know that they struggle with these things. They know that they're tempted in these areas. They know they don't want to and they shouldn't give in to these temptations. But when asked, do you do anything to avoid giving in to those temptations, they said no. The majority of people said, I don't do anything specific to avoid giving in to my temptations. What about us? If you were asked that question, you know what your temptations are, you know what you struggle with, 
And if somebody asks you, what do you do, what do you do specifically to avoid giving in to those temptations? How many of us would say, I don't know, or nothing? Then another study was done. Dr. Howard Hendricks interviewed 246 men, all of whom were in full-time ministry, and all of whom got caught up in inappropriate, immoral relationships. 246 men in full-time ministry that got caught up in inappropriate, immoral relationships. And of those 246 men, they had at least three things. There were actually four things listed, I think, but I want to emphasize three of them. Three things that they all had in common, every single one of them. The first one was this. None of them were involved in any sort of personal group. None of them had a group of people around them that were helping to hold them accountable. All of them had ceased to invest in daily personal time in prayer. No time in prayer. No time in Bible study. No time in worship. That's the next one. And then third, of the 246 people, they all said this, it will never happen to me. Think about that for a second. All of them had removed themselves from any sort of personal group that helps to hold them responsible and accountable. None of them were spending personal time in prayer and Bible study. And all of them said, this kind of thing will never happen to me. I could be tempted in that way. I could be tested in that way. I could be in a situation where that's a possibility and I would never give in to that. I would never be one of those kinds of guys. I would never be one of those kinds of people. I would never do that. I think all of those things ought to be things we seriously, soberly look at and consider To say if these 246 men in full-time ministry that all said, I could be tempted in this way and I would never give in to that and every single one of them failed. And none of them were spending time in prayer and in scripture reading and none of them had accountability. What dangers are we facing? What temptations and what struggles? And here's what I really want us to think about this morning. How does our prayer life reflect our concern about evil, temptation, and sin? If we were to examine the common themes in our prayers, if you were to examine the common themes in your prayers, and you were to just really just put it under a microscope for a minute and say, these are the things that I typically pray about. These are the things I commonly pray about. How concerned are you about temptation, about evil, about sin? What would your prayers reveal about your level of concern about the presence of sin and temptation and evil, because as we said when we started this series, you pray about what you care about, don't you? You pray about what you care about. And we care about our family. We care about our health. We care about uh, our friends and our neighbors. We care about the food that we're eating. We care about telling God, thank you for those things. Sometimes, maybe even often, 
we pray about forgiveness. We want to be forgiven for the bad things that we've done, the temptations to which we have given in. But how often do we pray about future temptation? How often do we pray about the evil we will face, about the sin we will struggle with? How concerned are we about those things? How aware of those things are we? These men were obviously completely oblivious, not only to the temptation that's out there, but to the sin that's in here. James says each one of us is tempted not by God, but when we're dragged away and enticed by our own evil, what? Desires. We're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. And some of us are completely oblivious to the fact that you and I have evil desires. How often, how fervently do we pray about the desires of our own heart that will get us and have gotten us into a whole lot of trouble? How aware of it, how concerned about it are we? And what do our prayers reveal about that? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. As we wrap up this series, here's Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And again, as we said in the beginning of this series, Christians for 2,000 years have believed that not only this prayer ought to inform our prayers and teach us in a general way how to pray, but Christians for 2,000 years have believed that we ought to pray these words. I don't think this is the only thing we ought to pray, and I certainly don't think we ought to pray it just from rote memory where we're just going through the motions of saying a prayer we learned as a child. But I think we ought to write these words on our heart and on our mind, and we ought to pray them. I believe that. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil lead us not into temptation what is what is temptation literally it's a it's a trial it's a test it's a testing don't allow us to be tested. Now, why would you pray? I mean, imagine if you're asking your school teacher that, right? School teacher, please don't let us have a test today, right? Please don't. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? You know, but why would you ask that? Why would you ask your teacher, please don't let us have a test today? Not because you think you're going to ace it, right? Because you know very well that you might very well fail the test. You're aware of your own inadequacies. You're aware of your own failings. You're aware of how weak you are. That's what this prayer teaches us. Father, I know that I'm weak. I know that I'm of the flesh. I know that I struggle. And not just I. Do you notice? Again, it's corporate. It's collective. Lead us not into temptation. Keep us from testing. Keep us from temptation. Why? Because I know that we're weak. And I know that we very well might fail the test. 
And what is it? What kind of situations are testing? What kind of situations are tempting? I mean, there's all kinds of different situations that are tempting and testing, but sometimes I don't know that we're aware. Our spiritual awareness is dulled. Listen to how the proverb writer writes in Proverbs 30 and verse 8. He says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. How many of y'all pray that? How many of us pray that? Lord, please don't let me be rich or poor. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give me only the food that I need. I don't want a storehouse full of food. And I don't want to have nothing. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? If I'm too rich, if I've got everything and I don't have to work for anything and there's no possibility of me running out of food, I very well might fail that test. I might be full and deny the Lord. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Wise people understand that if we are rich, we very well might fail that test. We're not very wise in that regard, are we? Because we're always praying, God, I want to have more, I want to have more, I want to have more. Give me that promotion. Help me climb the ladder. Help my paycheck to be bigger and better. Sure, we say, okay, yeah, I, I understand, you know, there's some negative things that go along with having a lot of money, but... I won't fail that test. But Jesus teaches us to go to God in prayer in regard to our testing, our temptation, with a tremendous amount of humility to say, Lord, don't let us be tempted. Don't let us be tested because we very well might fail the test. If I had that money, if I had that promotion, if I had that success, if I had that fame, it very well might go to my head and I might deny you. One of the most popular answers when young people today are asked what they want to be when they grow up, a lot of young people answer a YouTuber. Right? I want to be, be famous, right? But before that, my generation, your generation, I want to be a professional athlete. Why? Everybody will know my name, you know? And I'd go out in the backyard and throw the ball. I'd usually miss it, but every now and then I'd hit it, you know? And, and I think, I want to be that guy. We all long for fame and fortune, not realizing that that, that is spiritually detrimental to a lot of people, dare I say most people, who obtain it. Do we not see that? Do we not see that when most people win the lottery, it's spiritually, relationally, socially, emotionally detrimental to them? But we, for some reason, think that, well, I'm, I'm above that. If I had all that money, if I had all that success, if I had fame, if I had fortune, I wouldn't fail the test. Despite what Jesus says, he says it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And we think, but not me. You know, I'd be okay with that. If that's true of riches, 
Isn't it true of so many situations we find ourselves in? And the proverb writer teaches us to pray. Pray, Father, make me neither rich nor poor. Because that test, either side of it, I might very well fail the test. How many situations like that ought we to pray about? If we know our struggles, if we know that the areas where we're weak, we ought to pray specifically for those. And in a general way, we ought to pray for all of the body of Christ that God keep us from those types of situations, that he keeps us from testing. Now, that's not to say that when we're tempted, it's inevitable that we're going to sin. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, God always provides a way out. It's not to excuse sin, but it should give us an incredible amount of humility and it ought to make us incredibly dependent on God and it ought to give us an incredible amount of mercy towards others who have failed the test. When you see someone whose life has fallen apart because they failed the test, You ought to look at that person and not think, ha, well, I wouldn't have done that. You might have. In fact, you probably would have. If you had been tested like they were and you had been in the situation they were in, you very well might have failed that test as well. We ought to have an incredible amount of humility, an incredible amount of mercy and grace towards our fellow man because we know how weak we are We know how susceptible we are to sin. We know how likely we are to fail the test. And it ought to make us incredibly dependent on God in prayer. Not only praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or as some translations say, from the evil one. Some of us treat evil like it's non-existent or like it's a joke. And some of us, on the other end of the spectrum, act like evil is just as strong as good. It's not. Satan is not equally as powerful from an opposite direction as God. God and the goodness of God and the love of God is far more powerful than anything the evil one has to throw in the other direction. Evil. But sometimes I don't know how aware and how concerned we are about the presence of evil in the world and in ourselves. Deliver us, keep us, guard us. Now let's listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17. The night he's betrayed, he's praying to the Father about his disciples, and he says, John 17 and verse 12, while I was with them, I, what's the word? kept them. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Who's that? Judas, right? Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Why does Jesus put it that way? I kept them and I guarded them. And, And not a single one of them has been lost except for Judas. You know, when you think about how susceptible and how easily the others fell away and scattered and ran away and denied Jesus, 
I, I think that the truth revealed in this is that the other 11 would have ended up just like Judas if it had not been for the keeping and the guarding of Jesus. Sometimes we think it's just because they were better than Judas. Was Judas a bad guy? Yes, of course he was. Did God or Jesus make him deny and betray Jesus? Of course not. But Jesus kept and guarded the 11. And if it had not been for the keeping and the guarding of Jesus, the 11 might very well have ended up like Judas. It isn't because of their goodness or their piety or just because they were better people, but because of the keeping and the guarding of Jesus. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. See, Jesus doesn't assume that these 11 or that the multitudes, you and I, that will come after them are too good to fail. He doesn't say, okay, now that they belong to you, they don't have to worry about the evil one, right? They don't have to worry about temptation or falling because, you know, they belong to us. And so they're good. Or because they're so religious or because they're so pious or because they're so moral, they're good. They're, they're too good to fail. Of course, they often thought that about themselves. Peter would say that very night, Lord, I would, I'd never deny you. And Jesus said three times, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. The only hope these men have, the only hope any of Jesus' disciples have, you and I included, is that the Father keep them from the evil one. And Jesus doesn't ask that they be removed from the world. Jesus knows they're going to stay in the world and work in the world and be sent out in the world. And he knows that the world is going to hate them. He knows that their testing is inevitable, that they will be tested, that they will be tempted. So maybe thinking about that, that the world will hate us, and that we'll be tempted to fall away and to give in and to go along. Maybe we'll have to pray something like, lead us not into temptation, but if we are tempted, keep us from the evil one. Father, lead us not into temptation. Don't let us be tested, but when we are tested, and as we are tested, and if we are tested, then keep us from the evil one because your keeping and your guarding is the only hope we have. If we put our trust in ourselves and say, that would never happen to me, I would never do that, I'm not one of those kinds of people, I don't do things like that, I don't give in to stuff like that, given the opportunity, I bet you would. Because that's us, isn't it? It's exactly the kind of thing Peter thought. I would never do that. And he did. 246 men in full-time ministry said, I would never do that. And they did. The only hope you and I have to staying in the family of God is that we pray, Father, keep us from the evil one. If we 
approached prayer with the kind of humility and the dependence on God that Jesus teaches and models for us, we would be praying constantly, lead us not into temptation, but when we are tempted, keep us from the evil one. Verse 16, they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them. You know what that means, right? Sanctify. It not only means set apart, but not just set apart. I hate that we focus on set apart. You know, I always, I always use my Sunday clothes when I was a kid as, as an example of sanctify. You know, you all had sanctified clothes when you were kids, right? Your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, right? You know, you had your sanctify. And it wasn't just that your sanctified clothes were set apart. They were set apart. But they were set apart for a special purpose, right? To go to church in, right? And they, they weren't set apart to play in the mud, you play in the mud, you get in trouble, right? Because they're, they're set apart for a special purpose. There's like that special china that's at your house. It's set apart for a special purpose. You get it down maybe once a year, right? It's Thanksgiving dinnerware. It's not every day. You don't eat cereal in it, right? You don't feed the dog in it. It's set apart for a special purpose. And Jesus prays, sanctify these people. Set them apart for your purpose. Don't take them out of the world, but sanctify them in the truth, a new reality. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Not I've sent them to go parallel with the world. I sent them into the world. You sent me into the world and I'm sending them into the world. Our job is not to stay apart from the world, but to go into it. To go down into it. To be a part of it. We think that we're going to stay good by staying apart from it. Staying aloof from the world. It's not what Jesus did. He went right down into it. And he sent his disciples into it. And he sends us into it. But we have to be praying, sanctify us in the truth. Set us apart from the world by this new reality that we've seen and we've obeyed. Your word is truth. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. What does that mean, sanctified in truth? We say sometimes, and it's usually negative when we say this, but we say you can't unsee that, right? You can't unsee that. Some of y'all post pictures on Facebook of your wounds, you know, and I hate that. I can't unsee that, right? Once I saw it, I can't unsee it. But there's some good things that once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. You know, those of us that are parents, maybe, maybe that's an example. The first time you see your child, it changes you forever. But there's all kinds of things that you and I have experienced in life that it's changed you forever. You can't go back from that. Once you've seen that and you've experienced that and you've been there and you've done that, you are now a different kind of person. And Jesus says the truth that he's revealing about who God is. That's what the book of John is all about. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. And that truth that Jesus reveals and that the disciples have seen, it sets them apart. 
It sanctifies them for their mission. And it does the same for you. The truth of God's word, the truth of who God is in Jesus, it changes us. It sanctifies us. But if this is Jesus' prayer, ought it also to be ours? Father, let us not be tempted. But when we are tempted and if we are tempted and as we're tempted, sanctify us in the truth. Set us apart. That we might look at something in the world and say, I want to do that. I know how good that might feel in the moment. I know the pleasure that might bring for a moment, but I've seen something in Jesus and I can't do it anymore. I can't drink that or smoke that or go there or do this or do that. I can't do those things anymore because I've been transformed by Jesus. I want to, don't get me wrong. It's not that I'm better. It's not that I don't get it. I get it and I've done it and I've seen it and I've experienced it, but I've seen something in Jesus that's changed me. And if we're going to be that kind of person, then we have to pray that God make us that kind of person. Sanctify me in the truth. Sanctify your people in the truth. So as we go into the world and we face temptation head on, and we don't stay aloof as the Pharisees did, but we get down into the world with the world, we're not of the world, just as Jesus was not of the world because we're transformed and sanctified by truth and we've seen something that we can't unsee. We've experienced something that we can't unexperience. It's changed us. And we have to pray that we are thus changed. Just as Ashley read in Ephesians, that's what Ephesians is all about. Now that you've learned Christ, you can't live that way anymore. Just as you've you've seen him and tasted the goodness of what's in Christ, you can't go back. We have to pray that. So here's our moment of truth question. How fervently do you pray? Guard, keep, Deliver, sanctify. Are these themes that run through your prayers? Guard us, keep us, deliver us from evil, sanctify us in truth. We are people on a mission, and we are weak people on a mission. And we are people who are susceptible to evil. We are susceptible of being dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. Keep us, guard us, deliver us from that evil and sanctify us in truth. If we're not praying for it, what makes us think that we'll be able to face these things head on? If your spiritual strength and effectiveness was dependent on what you're praying, how strong, how effective would you be? Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to be baptized into Jesus or you need and want these people praying with you and praying for you. We are here for you and we want to help you any way we can. Now is a great opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.